God, that's our prayer, that you would, by your grace, like a fetter, bind our hearts to you, prone to wander. We thank you for your grace. Help us this morning to hear your word and mix it with faith so that it's effective. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. You may be seated this morning. How's everybody doing? At this point, I want to release our children with Mr. Freebel in the back to continue their work in the Gospel Project. And anyone else who wants to grab some coffee, go ahead. <laughs> Feel free anytime. We actually have little cup holders, so uh, I think it's because I spill every week myself um, that Mike decided to get cup holders for the back of your chair. But um, Welcome this morning to Renovation Church. I'm one of the elders here. My name is Jeremy Callie, and uh, we are in our series in the book of Hebrews. How many of you guys have had a good time on Sunday mornings and in your missional community with the book of Hebrews? Isn't this an unbelievable, unbelievable book? And uh, if you haven't had opportunity to be with us over the last several weeks, um, we have enjoyed um, diving into a difficult book, but a book that really describes for us who Jesus is and the fact that he's greater than anything else. Amen? Um, so, my task this morning with you is to get into Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. I uh, began to look into this, began to read it. And this is one of those passages that you sit down, you open the Bible, if you're anything like me, you read the first 11 verses of chapter 4 of the book of Hebrews, you look up and you go, what? And then look down again and read it again and then go, what? <laughs> and as I began to look into this very, very powerful passage and then look at some commentators and some other folks that have written about this passage, I then realized this is one of the most difficult 11 verses in Scripture to which I texted Mike Maisie, thanks, man. <laughs> and he's at Clay Community Church this morning preaching on marriage. <laughs> Lucky guy. Um, but what I began to realize very quickly is that the last couple verses of this passage are so true, and I want to start with that. Look at verse 12. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Amen? The word of God is powerful to cut right to the heart of us in such a way that it lays us bare in our deepest, deepest places it's as if we are before God naked. He sees 
and he knows everything, and his word has the ability to cut right to the heart of who we are. Amen? And I'm going to tell you, the first 11 verses that we haven't read yet, they do that. They've done that for me. They continue to do that. So please know this morning, I am speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to you. And my prayer is that God would open his word to us and illuminate it in our hearts, meaning just light it up in such a way that we come to a greater understanding of who he is and what he's calling us to. Amen? So I want to read the full passage now, and then let's pray, and we'll jump into it together. Start in the beginning of chapter 4 of Hebrews. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed entered that rest as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in, in this way. And God rested on the seventh day in all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, Again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also Rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him we must give account. Let's pray. God, we pray again that you would open your word to us. Speak to us. Help us in this to glorify you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So yeah, you read the passage, and in the wording of this passage in the book of Hebrews can be a little confusing. And, I, and, I, and when I first read it, I, I realized that, that this was going to take some time to walk through. So please, you know, be patient with me because there is something here for you that is full of hope. Amen? There is an encouragement and there is an exhortation that at first glance makes us kind of step back a minute, but as we really dive into it, has a powerful, exhorting, hopeful message about God and his rest in his promises. Amen? You with me? The first verse starts in chapter 4 with the word therefore, right? It says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. What does that say to us? It means we have to jump back. The word therefore in this passage, or in any passage, is a conclusion. 
It's saying, because of something, therefore, here's something else. Does that make sense to everybody? So we can't really understand the therefore if we don't jump back and remind ourselves of chapter 3. And I'm going to start in verse 16. I'm sorry. I'm going to start in verse 12. So if you have your Bibles, it's not going to be on the screen, or you got an app on your cell phone. If you don't have the app on your cell phone, just type in ESV in the app store, and there's a free ESV right there for you. It's awesome. Um, but grab your Bible, grab your phone, and jump back to chapter 3, and I want to start in verse 12. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who, hard, who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear what they would, that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that we were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, and here's where we are today, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Wow. Let us fear. If you're reading an NIV, it might say, let us take care, or something different than fear. It actually says fear. Let us fear. I, I got to tell you, when I first read that, I thought, what do you mean? Fear what? The Bible is full of verses that tell me to fear not. The Bible is full of verses that tell me you no longer have to fear, that God is with us. Who could be against us? Fear not, fear not, fear not. We hear that all the time. But yet the author of Hebrews starts out chapter 4 by saying, let us fear. And so we have to ask ourselves that question, fear what? And we see this at the end of chapter 3, and I love it. Exhort one another every day. Take care that you don't have an unbelieving heart. Who, who is it that heard the good news and their bodies lie in the wilderness and they didn't make it into the promised land? See, what this author of Hebrews is doing is he's actually preaching a message from Psalm 95. Throughout the end of chapter 3 and through chapter 4, he's preaching on Psalm 95. Psalm 95 in verse 7 says, For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness. And he goes back and he references Moses and the people in the wilderness. Do you guys remember this story? Moses, the people had hardened their hearts. They had seen miracles from God. God had delivered them from Egypt. And he told them he was going to give them the promised land. He was going to give them Canaan. And it was filled with, with milk and with honey. And this would be the place where they would go into their rest. And, and Moses, remember, he struck the rock twice and, and disobeyed God. And water flowed from the rock. And, and God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, guess what? Because of your disobedience, you don't get to go to the promised land. You guys remember the story from the book of Exodus and into Numbers. 
And Psalm 95 is referencing that moment of disobedience and unbelief. And here the writer of Hebrews comes back to us today in this passage. And he says, exhort one another. Get in each other's faces. Encourage each other. Take care to be in the lives of one another, lest you would have an unbelieving heart. And he says, therefore, in chapter 4, fear lest any of you would fall short of this rest. Folks, this is an amazing encouragement to us. I asked myself this question this morning, drinking coffee, about 6.30. What am I vigilant about in my life? I mean, you ever think about this? Just sit down and take stock. What am I vigilant about in my life? I work with a guy who will not shut up about his golf swing. Anybody know this, <laughs> these folks? Like, he comes in my office every day. I'll be reading, you know, I'll be working on something, and he walks in, and he sits down, and he's like, this is what I shot today, man. I wasn't really hitting my wedges well. I and I, I'm just thinking, with a smile on my face, man, it's good to see you. I'm thinking, I don't care, right? <laughs> like <he's> saying, <laughs> But this dude loves golf. And, like, we'll go to a tournament together and you know for me golf is really about riding around in a cart it's nice outside hanging out with friends I hit like 50 bad shots right anybody with me and then I'll hit a good one and be like oh this game's easy I got this right <laughs> and he's the guy in the cart that's like you know slamming his club down and angry and he's not really having fun he's very very vigilant every day I mean he takes serious care to work on his golf swing, to practice his golf swing, to, to improve his game. Some folks I know are incredibly vigilant. You know, and, and think about it. Take stock with you. What are you vigilant about? With you know, finances, you know, every penny, every, every T is crossed, every I is dotted, everything. Very, very vigilant about where every penny goes, where every dollar goes. Some folks are vigilant. Maybe it's you about their car. I work with an investigator. I'm a prosecutor at the DA's office vocationally. And we have an investigator. His name is Henry. Unbelievable police officer. Love the guy. I have never seen a grown man care for a car more than this man cares for his car. Like, the wax, the, the, I mean, you walk into it, it smells perfect, it looks perfect. I feel like I need to take my shoes off when I sit down in the front seat of his car. It's absolutely unbelievable. He is incredibly vigilant. If he sees a smudge, a scratch, if you lean up against it, it's like you can see his eyes, like, you know, look over. I mean, he takes incredible care as it pertains to his car. I, I, I see folks, this is not me, but neighborhoods. You go in, my buddy lives in this particular neighborhood off 370, and there's a string of neighbors they must be competing for the most beautiful yard, right? Like, it looks like a green carpet with perfect mulch, flowers, trees, perfectly organized. And the vigilance it must take to do this is, is unbelievable. There are things in life, right, that, that it takes constant maintenance. I say this to my people all the time that, that work for me in our particular bureau, Without continued maintenance, things naturally degrade. Do they not? Right? If, if there's things that we care about, if there's things that we're passionate about, if there's a goal we're trying to reach, if there's a place 
that we're trying to attain. As a leader, any good leadership position, you recognize when you're leading people that if you don't vigilantly, wow, that was tough, I'm sorry. If you're not diligent, that's easier. If you're not diligent to take care, to hold a standard, to to continually um, maintain those areas that are important for folks to get with you to attain a particular goal, then things what? They naturally degrade and fall away and get worse. As I sat and introspectively thought about my own life and what I am diligent to maintain, what I am consciously thinking about, consciously aware of, I began to question my own faithfulness to allow the word of God to speak to me and soften my heart and cause me to respond to the word of God with faith continually. And I think what we see here that the author of Hebrews is saying is he's saying, and we've seen this warning in chapter two, take care. We've seen this warning in chapter one and in chapter three, take care. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is this, wake up, open your eyes, take a very hard, close look at your faith and your response to the gospel and the word of God and consciously be vigilant to ensure that you are continuing on in the faith. Amen? I love the end of chapter 13 because it says, exhort one another. You're not doing this alone. Get into each other's faces. Get into each other's lives because we aren't talking about whether or not your car looks nice or whether or not you shoot the best score on the front nine. What we're talking about is your soul. Take care. Fear, meaning consciously be driven to take a look at as it then defines in verse 11 later on in the chapter. Lest anyone should fall short. So the author of Hebrews is giving us an amazing warning. But fear what? What are we to fear? And this is where I began to to take a look at that question because I see the word of God tell me not to fear so often. And I want you to jump down. And we see here, it says fear in the beginning of verse 4, or I'm sorry, of chapter 4, verse 1, and then it begins to continue to relate to Psalm 95 and the people in the wilderness. And what do we see um, in Exodus and in Numbers and the people of the wilderness? What do we see about this rest that, that he's referring to in the Old Testament? So the people of Israel were, were, were um, rescued from Egypt, and they were heading towards the promised land, and God said to them, I've given you this land. I've given you this place that, that he's referring to as, as this rest, this place flowing with milk and honey. It is yours. God spoke to them and said, it is yours. I've given it to you. And he sends them in to go. And do you remember this story um, in Numbers where the spies went in and they came back and everybody except for Joshua and Caleb was like, there's wicked tall people there. Like, <laughs> there's, there's giants in the land. You guys remember this story of the Old Testament? And Joshua and Caleb were like, no, we can do this. God has spoken. We can go in and we can take the land. And, and the other 10 spies were like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think so. They look pretty tough. After everything they had seen. 
We're talking about water coming out of a rock. We're talking about a pillar of fire at night leading them through the wilderness. We're talking about the plagues, the Passover, and the firstborn of everybody being killed except for those who had the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. We're talking about folks who were delivered in a miraculous, unbelievable way. God had shown his power. God had shown his mercy. They had heard, as the writer of Hebrews says, in that day, the gospel. Unless you think there was no gospel in the Old Testament, think again. Because in Exodus, he declared to them, right in the heart of the passage about the law of God, that God is merciful, he is forgiving, he is slow to anger. God had shown himself in great power. He had spoken to them a very clear, concise, specific word. And they came back after all of that. I mean, these folks were on the edge of the river, the Egyptians were on their back, and they stepped into the water, and the Red Sea split, and they walked through on dry ground. And in this moment, after God had spoken to them again, they said, nah, I don't believe. I know we read this and think, what? How could they be unbelieving in this moment? But aren't we the same way? Can you look at your life, hindsight, 2020, look back and see the hand of God in your life as he has spoken to you and delivered you and saved you, as he has orchestrated things in your life? Have you not seen the miracles of God in your life as you sit here in this place? Have you not heard the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done that he saved you, that he's died for you, that he's forgiven you, that he has come all the way, even in your unbelief, in your rejection of him, he still died for you, he still loved you, he's come all the way for you. And what the writer of Hebrews says is you don't have to fear the giants. You don't have to fear uh, difficulty. You don't have to fear cancer. You don't have to fear tragedy. You don't have to fear absolute um, Uh, horrible things in your life, the only thing you have to fear as you sit in this room today is faithlessness and unbelief. That's what he's saying to us. The only fear he's referring to is unbelief and disobedience. And the writer of Hebrews says, you've heard the good news just like they heard it. Take great care that you don't fall into unbelief and disobedience. Get in each other's lives and faces and say, are you, are you being bent? Are you because of a indifference, because of a lack of maintenance, because of a maybe I just saluted to the gospel one morning in church and I walked forward or I raised my hand or I prayed with someone in the back But ever since, I've been indifferent to the things of God and just living my own life, doing what I want to do, seeking after things that interest me and have had no concern for God. Take care lest you live a life of faithlessness and disobedience and unbelief because it's not just about an intellectual salute. It's about a faith that's mixed with the word of God that becomes effective in your life. Amen? See, the writer of Hebrews is calling us to a different kind of Christianity that I gotta say, and I'm preaching to myself, please hear this, 
that, that in America, we don't like to hear very much. We love the idea that we fulfilled some obligation. We checked our church box. Right? I'm religious. I grew up religious. My parents were religious. I showed up on Sunday, checked the box. I sent my kids to Sunday school, but then went about my day with complete indifference to the word and the things of God in my life. And the writer of Hebrews says, you better fear that. You better take a close look. You better look into your life because if faith is real, it's effective. If faith is real in what the word has spoken to you, it has results. It bears fruit. You're not working to attain it. You can't. God's done it for you. But in God's doing it, in your reliance on it, the grace of God mixed with the faith of God, it works and what you will see is a life that perseveres to the end. Amen? That's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Wow. You're saying to me, where is this hope? <laughs> Here's the hope. He says, in Romans 11.20, if you would turn there with me, Romans chapter 11, verse 20. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. Listen to this. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. Faith mixed with the word of God, you will stand fast. What God is saying to us is our reliance on him is what causes us to persevere. As we rely on him in faith, as we hear the word declared to us and we respond to it in faith, God will cause us to stand and to persevere What is this fear that he's talking about? It's fear of unbelief. It's fear of disobedience. The people in the desert or in the wilderness were, were fearful. They were unbelieving. I'm sorry, they were unbelieving and they were disobedient. And what, what the author's aim in Hebrews chapter 4 is to us today is it's to awaken a godly concern. It's to awaken in us a godly fear to recognize the seriousness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the word that's been declared to us and the hope in his eternal rest. Isn't that great news? The hope that there is a rest, not just in the land of Canaan, not just with Joshua, not just with the promises to David that continue to us, not just in the sense that God rested after the seventh day in creation and his work was completed, but there is, as it says in chapter four, today, today his promise stands for an eternal rest. See, this fear that he talks about in verse one is, therefore, while the promises of entering his rest still stands, fear, lest you fall short of it. 
What he's saying is the promise of God's eternal Sabbath, his eternal rest, it still stands. God has prepared a place for us. God has saved us. He's rescued us. He's going to bring us into a place of rest with him. He's going to make everything right in the end. His promises still stand. So take care lest your heart would be unbelieving, lest your heart wouldn't completely rely on him, lest you would just give an intellectual salute to religion and then live a life of faithfulness. He's saying, no, that's not it. Mix this declared word of God with reliance and faith because there is a promise of God's Sabbath rest. Amen? That's what he's saying to us. He wants to awaken in us a godly fear to recognize the seriousness and to move towards persevering. Amen? In light of the wilderness generation's failure, do not fear that they didn't fear God, that they didn't take notice that God's promises of rest still stands. They miss out. In Psalm 95, verse 7, it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 7, as he quotes that. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And what we see here is that physical hearing does not automatically result in a positive response. Isn't that true? There's a lot of people that hear the word of the Lord and they don't respond. There's folks that listen to the word of God and they harden their hearts. And here's the declaration from the author of Hebrews to you today and from the psalmist. If you hear the word of the Lord, do not harden your hearts. My prayer for me, for you, for us as a church is that we would open our hearts to the word of the Lord, that we would allow the word of God to cut deep into our soul, that we would open ourselves up to the declaration of his word and who he is and how he relates to us, and that we would adjust and rely on that. Amen? If you hear the word of the Lord, do not harden your hearts. Physical hearing doesn't automatically result in a positive response. To my daughter's volleyball tournament yesterday, I have become a gigantic fan of high school girls volleyball. I know that sounds weird, but I have a high school daughter. So I go to these games. I love a couple things about it. I only had to buy her knee pads. <laughs> and the games are all inside. It's... But I've grown to love other things about it. It is an exciting sport. They're awesome too. They're really, really good at it. And so we're at the tournament yesterday. and. Her coach is kind of this legendary coach you might have seen in the news. She just got her 500th win, Baldwinsville Girls Varsity Volleyball coach. She's been around since I was in high school at Beeville. And uh, she's, she's old school, man. She's the kind of coach that parents and kids don't like today, right? The kind of coach that really rips into kids. We don't allow our kids to experience adversity anymore, so no coaches can yell at them. Um, but I love it. <clears throat> and she, she rips the kids. Like, it's awesome. <laughs> <clears throat> And so she kind of, they were killing it. They were doing great yesterday. But I, she came off the court. She sat down next to me, exacerbated after a game where they crushed a team. And she looked at me and she said, it's as if we didn't practice at all last week. <laughs> I told them the first play out of the gate was to be this play. 
I told them, do this play. The first thing you're supposed to do is this play. They never did that play. Like, she was completely frustrated. She, she had spoken to them exactly the game plan and what she wanted them to do. They heard her say it. They practiced it every day in practice. And when they got to the game, they didn't do it. And she was exacerbated with frustration. As a youth pastor, I remember for years preaching and preaching and preaching to teenagers and then watching them go out and do stupid stuff, right? And I remember saying to dozens of teens, hey, you're in my office crying because this awful thing happened to you. When you do stupid stuff, stupid stuff happens to you, right? <laughs> the word of God says this. Listen to it. Do it. Be a doer of the word, not just a hearer of the word. The word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ is being declared to us in his word. It was declared to them. They saw the power of God and they still didn't believe and they still disobeyed. Hearing the word doesn't mean that we just go out and do it. And the author of Hebrews is saying this. Amongst each other, exhort each other. Get in each other's lives. Listen to the word of God. And do it. Obey and believe. Rely on it. Throw the weight of your life into it. Because God will do what he said he's going to do. He will give you eternal rest. He was going to give them and gave some of them the promised land as he promised. But many of their bodies, as it says in Psalm 95 and in Hebrews, laid in the wilderness dead. They never made it from Egypt to the promised land because they didn't believe and they didn't trust God. They were scared of the giants. They were scared of everything and they were not relying on the incredible power and the, and the, and the faithfulness and the word of God. And what God is declaring and exhorting you today and this morning, he's exhorting us saying, listen to the word, believe, have faith, rely on it, take great care. Almost in the sense that you fear that your heart would somehow be unbelieving and faithless. Take concern. Be vigilant to go after your heart so that it is believing and relying on what God has declared to you in his gospel. I'm vigilant about so many other things. Hearing the gospel declared, elicits faith, and faith makes the message effective. That's O'Brien quoting him. The message of milk and honey was heard by the Israelites, but did not meet. It did not meet with a believing response. John Calvin, in his commentary on Hebrews, says this. But the fear which is recommended is not that which shakes the confidence of faith, but such as fills us with such concern that we grow not torpid with indifference. Let us then fear not that we ought to tremble or to entertain distrust as though uncertain as to the issue, 
but lest we be unfaithful to God's grace. Amen? It's not a fear that God's faithfulness is going to endure to the end. It's not a fear that we don't understand what the issue is here. It's not a fear that that we should be concerned or trembling that God wouldn't save us. He has saved us all the way. He's done all the work. We don't add to it. This is not a workspace salvation. But what it is, is it's a great concern and vigilance that you would not grow torpid or indifferent. The good news needs to be accompanied by faith for it to be effective. Faith is genuine, genuine, it will be persistent. You know, I love this because as someone who is so overwhelmed and someone I, I, I have spent years focusing, trying to focus on the grace of God in my life and the fact that he has absolutely saved me I'm passionate and I've exhorted you many times as I try to exhort myself every day to focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ in my life and to continually recognize the fact that I couldn't do it, that I'm incapable of adding to it. This, This amazing good news that God has come and I am completely bent and and affected by sin to the point that my will is even incapable of choosing good. Like Romans 3, no man chooses good, no, not one. And God in his great mercy and in his great love has come and he has, like in Exodus, like the lamb over the doorpost, like the deliverance from Egypt and and, and into the promised land, he has come into my life and Jesus, who we've already talked about is greater than Moses, has come and paid the price that I deserve to pay and paid it completely so that in Hebrews he has sat down at the right hand of the Father. It's finished. He's forgiven me. I can't add to it. There's nothing I can do. What, what, what Hebrews is saying here is listen to that message and allow your faith to be activated in such a way that you consistently rely on it for everything. And you'll persevere to a place and a promise that still stands today. Not just the promised land in Egypt and Canaan, not just God's rest after his finished work, not just the promise to David, but there is a promise that stands for you today that you will one day stand before God and if you have per- persevered in your faith and in your reliance on his gospel, you will come into his rest, his Sabbath rest. That's good news. What is this Sabbath rest? We see two words used in Hebrews. One that indicates a a secession of activity, right? How many of you guys would like that? Like, I need to rest, right? Anybody? Little kids, like you don't sleep. I go to work, I drive my children everywhere, and then I go to bed, right? And then I go to work again. So, So an idea of rest from the work of God here on earth. There is a sense that we are working diligently to serve God and to, and to be faithful to what he's called us to, to be on mission with him. And there, there comes a time where in Hebrews it's talking about this idea of rest as in God finished his work in creation and he rested. But then the, the writer of Hebrews in, in, in four, let me, can't remember which verse, 
Verse 11, let us therefore strive to enter rest so that no one may fall into the same sort of disobedience. He's talking about a Sabbath rest. What is this Sabbath rest? It's more than just rest. It is a joyful celebration and worship of God, who he is and what he's done. Amen? So it's rest mixed with worship. There's coming a day when we will enter into his rest. Amen? There's coming a day when we will enter into his rest. We'll be in his presence. We will worship him forever. We'll be undone by the presence of God. I think of heaven. I think of being in his presence. I think of the new heavens and the new earth and him making everything right that has gone wrong and him setting everything straight and being in his rest and in his Sabbath rest and presence. And I, my heart it, it, it is filled with joy. Is yours? I recognize that my two and a half cups of pink and gray electric putty between my ears cannot comprehend what this means and what this is. In the same way that a young toddler child sits in a room and plays with blocks and has no reference or concept for the joy of adulthood and life and marriage and, and love and all of those things that, that the toddler has no idea are in store for him as he or she grows into adulthood. In the same way as we sit here today, we're like toddlers. We have no concept of what heaven is, what that Sabbath rest could be. It's so far beyond, but we know that God's promise stands today. Not just for Moses, not just for David, not just for Joshua, but for you and for me. He's declared his gospel to us. And that gospel activated by faith will cause us to persevere to the time where we enter into his Sabbath rest forever. Good news, amen? What is this rest? We see him list those four things Joshua, David, the promised land, God's rest after creation. And then in verse 11, it says that it still stands for us today. And in verse 11, it is the parentheses on verse 1. Where verse 1 said, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Look at verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter so that no may no I'm sorry so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. It's the same thing. He's describing this fear. He's putting a parenthesis on it. There is effort in striving with each other together to hold strong to the faith. Amen. Not to fear anything that this world could throw at us. Not to fear death. Not to fear sickness. Not to fear difficulty. Not to fear anything that this world would throw at us. The only fear that we engage each other in is a striving and a taking great vigilance and care that each of us, not just yourself, but each other, would not slip into disobedience and faithlessness and unbelief. That's what he's telling us this morning. 
Amen? I think we can do that as a community. We can ensure that we allow the word of God to scrutinize our heart. That we would look into each other's lives and call each other out. That we would let the word cut into our hearts. That we would be vigilant. He ends with that very famous verse. For the word of God in verse 12 is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. He ends with that. I love it. Fear. Lest you don't listen and believe and obey the word of God. Because the word of God has the power to cut into the deepest parts of your life, lay you bare, lay you naked. God knows his word will cut right into the heart of who you are. Let it. Let it. Let the word of God define how you live. Let the word of God define what you value. Let the word of God define what you rely on. Let the word of God define what you pursue. When I was 17 years old, God came in a powerful way into my life. And there was a revelation that laid me bare through the word of God. And it's as simple as this. God is smarter than me. All the plans and ideas and thoughts and things that I wanted to do with my life were stupid in comparison to what God had for me, what God was saying about me and his word and who I was. And I needed to rely on him. And today at 40, it is still the same. The word of God has the power to define for us everything we need to know about life and love and godliness and eternal rest. What are we pursuing? What are we going after? What are we vigilant about in our lives? And what in the world do those things matter as compared to what God says to us? Amen? We are so, we as in me, all of us are so easily distracted by stupid stuff. We are so easily distracted by the things of this world that crowd into our lives. And make no mistake, we have more of it than anyone. In America, we are that wealthy person that's like the camel in the eye of the needle stuff, right? We are those folks that aren't by our circumstances always laid bare and desperate before God. Some folks that we say are less fortunate than us, we may need to reevaluate. Because in the midst of difficulty, I think it's very simple. Matt and I were years ago leading worship at a pastor's conference with, with pastors from Syria in Egypt in the Middle East and we were down in New York City. Many of them are probably dead today given ISIS's move through Syria. We were playing worship songs that we had played a thousand times before 
and I watched this particular Syrian pastor who I still picture in my mind today singing that song, Oh my God, he will not delay, my refuge and strength. Of whom shall I fear? As he sung those words to that song with his arms lifted and tears streaming down his face, I was sitting on the drums thinking, this is real for him. So simple. What really matters, he is effectively aware of. Do we listen to the word of God and then just check out and go back to our busy, full lives, full of tons of food, tons of entertainment, tons of activity, tons of pursuits, tons of things to go after that all amount to nothing? Or do we take care? Do we take a moment Maybe some fear and say, wait a minute. What am I going after with great diligence? Where is my heart? Have I hardened my heart? Or am I allowing that word of God that has the ability to cut me straight open, soften my heart, speak to me, and be effective with my faith and reliance? That's our question this morning. That's what the author of Hebrews was getting at as he preached in Hebrews on Psalm 95. As he reminded us of those who saw great power and heard the gospel and rejected it with unbelief and disobedience. And he says, you have been preached the same gospel. Take heart. Don't do the same thing. Don't do it. Take a minute. Take a look. Are you hearing the word of God? And are you relying on it with faith? Or is your heart being hardened? And are we continuing in disobedience to what he said to us? I take the encouragement of Calvin. As you sit here today and have responded to the gospel that that faith that's in you, it'll persist. It'll persevere. If for some reason there has been an intellectual salute to the things of the word of God and then a continued life of disobedience, my exhortation to you is that maybe faith has never began. And you should take heart. You should have a moment of introspective concerning fear where you say, wait a minute. Has faith even really began in my life? Have I applied faith to the hearing of the gospel and the word of God so that it would affect, it would have its effect on me? It would produce endurance in my life that I would persevere to the end. Folks, you have nothing to fear except for a rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ in unbelief and disobedience. That's what this says. I hope that was clear. Um, I pray that God's word by his spirit does something in your hearts as he's doing in mine that I don't have the capability to do. My prayer this morning to you is that he would take this passage and 
somehow through someone as imperfect as me, and I don't say that facetiously or in some false humility. I recognize it readily this morning that this, this passage was not easy to communicate, and only God can do what he does in it and through it in our hearts. And let me just tell you this this morning. I pray he continues to do it in me. I'm cut to the heart with the things that I am so diligent about that have nothing to do with the word of God. And I'm saying, God, remind me of my need to rely on you. He's faithful. And he who began a good work in you, he is going to complete it. Amen? He's going to continue that work in your heart. Will you stand with me as we pray? I love the idea that we get to be a part of a community of people who share in this faith together. You know, the folks that are gathered here this morning, we wouldn't normally probably be around each other. There's different kinds of people from all different kinds of walks of life. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that brings us together. It's why his church is so powerful. It's his chosen vessel to work and to, to declare the word that has this effect in the hearts and the lives of people so that more and more people will enter into his Sabbath rest someday. Not only should we open ourselves up to the word of God, let it change us, but can I just say this as we pray together in closing? We should open ourselves up to each other. This is not an advertisement for you to come to church, not an advertisement for you to join in missional community. We don't do it because we are trying to get numbers of people. Honestly, we're not. But get some people in your life. Whether it's through our MCs, our missional communities, our small groups in a home, continued corporate worship in a church where you become a member, where you say, I'm committed, I'm in. Get some people in your life so that we can look at each other and exhort each other towards this kind of faith that's in this passage. Amen? Surround your life with people. I need it. You need it. We all need it. I need this reminder. Without constant vigilance and maintenance, doesn't our perspective shift? Don't we tend to degrade in our faith and our reliance and our trust? Let's hold each other fast. God, we just thank you for your church. We thank you for your word. We thank you most of all, and I hope this came across this morning, God, please seal this in our hearts. We thank you for the hope, not, not like I hope the Yankees are good next year, but a confident expectation hope, biblical hope, 
a secure, confident expectation in your Sabbath rest. Your promise is true. It waits for us. In the midst of a world that is politically confused, that seems to be in the midst of uh, sin and destruction and difficulty and tragedy and sickness, as sin has had its effect, we trust in your promise that you will make it all right, that you promise a Sabbath rest where there's no more tears, there's no more pain, where we worship and celebrate you and who you are. You are the prize at the end. And you give us this freely as an act of grace and mercy. We recognize this morning we don't deserve it. And that our only fear in this world is that we would somehow reject it. Well, this morning we, we declare we do not reject it. We receive it. Your grace, your forgiveness, your gospel. God, I declare and if you're with me this morning, declare it in your heart. We rely on you and your word and your faithfulness and your promises that you've delivered us, not just from the land of Egypt, but you have delivered us from our sin. Thank you, Lord. We worship you this morning because of what you have done. You deserve it. And help us to remain faithful. No one can take us out of your hand. In Jesus' name, everybody said.